John chapter 4. It's a large section we're going to go through, so I'm not going to read much of it. I'm just going to read the first six verses, but then we'll get through the rest of it as we go on. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from this journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So as we're continuing through our series, and we named the series God Revealed, because the purpose of, God, of John writing this really was to reveal something about Jesus, and Jesus' coming was to reveal something about the Father, a tangible, physical person that we could know God, that, that through knowing Him, we could know God. And as we've been going through, we've been seeing John being very intentional with this, and I love how he starts off this, the first real mission, essentially, of Jesus, in a sense, the first people group that he reached were Samaritans. So we're going to get a little bit more into that. That's radical. Like, it is a very not loved people group of the Jewish people. And so as Jesus' fame is growing, what's interesting is that rather than pressing into these really areas where his fame is growing, we see Jesus leaves. He goes, he had to go back up north and he had to pass through Samaria. He's going back to his home base, which is in Galilee. That's kind of where he functions out of. And so our story picks up with Jesus sitting beside this well, this well with much historical context. And it's, we find out that it's the sixth hour, which is noon. So at the heat of the day, Jesus is sitting by a well, and that's where we jump into it. We'll see why all this matters in a few moments. Verse 7, he says, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So there's a woman coming from Samaria to draw water at noon doesn't seem that significant. doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it's a huge deal. This sentence is loaded with context that we need to understand before we move on. First off, this woman was dismissed socially simply because she was a woman. During this time, women had no rights. In fact, if a woman witnessed a crime her testimony wouldn't even be valid in court. It didn't count. She couldn't be trusted simply because she was a woman. The culture at this time, women had no, they couldn't like pretty much own land. They were, they were just, they were nobodies. 
And what's so fascinating to me about Jesus is Jesus gave so much value to women. This is one of the first people he reaches that's not Jewish. The first, per, the first group of people that witnessed his raising from the dead were the women. He gave so much value to women in his culture in a time that nobody did. This woman was completely dismissed, marginalized. But not only that, she was completely despised religiously. The text alludes to it a little bit, and it says that the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, but that is an understatement. Basically, a Samaritan, I can get into the history of it, but basically this, the nation was taken over before Judea was taken over, and, and how the nation that took this group of people over is they'd pull everybody out, all the Jewish people at the time, this was years and years ago, and they brought in all these other nations that they conquered, and they brought them in. And so they be, kind of became a, looked at as a Jews as kind of half-breeds. They weren't pure Jewish people. And they were despised. They, were, they didn't count. They, to a Jewish person, they were worse than, than anything else. That's why the story of the Good Samaritan is so fascinating, because he was literally an enemy, and he cared for this wounded Jewish person. And so religiously, they didn't count. They were, they were completely despised by Jewish people. And I find it fascinating that Jesus it says in the text that he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria, uh, Samaria. He didn't have to. They had a route that went around that they could have done, but it says that he had to, and I think this is the reason he had to. He had to speak with this woman, which is hugely significant. But thirdly, we see that this woman was dishonored communally. Now, we're going to get into her story in this next section in a few moments, but the fact, so in cultures where they don't have running water, they go to the well to get water. Very common, and it's always the women. The women have to do all the hard labor. You go to Africa, the women are in the field, they're drawing water, the men are not doing any of that stuff, which is fascinating. They do all the heavy lifting. This is no different. They had to go to get water. But women would go to get water early in the morning when it was not sunny. You're in a desert, right? Like it's hot. You go in the morning. That's when you go. And it was like a social event. They'd go together. They'd get water. It's catching up. It's having conversation. It was, it was really a, a sweet kind of relational time. The fact that the text specifies this woman came to the well at noon communicates that she was avoiding everyone. She didn't want to talk to anybody. She was on the outside when it comes to the community. She goes there hoping to see no one, talk to no one, and there's Jesus. And he says to her, he initiates a conversation with her, and he's like, you got any water? She's like, you're talking to me? I love this lady. She is so feisty. I love it. Love it. She's like, you talking to me, a Samaritan woman, you a Jewish man. And then Jesus moves on real quickly. We get more of her story. Jesus says in verse 10, If you knew the gift and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink and drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
And Jesus said to her, Everyone that drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, don't have, uh, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus says to her, well, oh, Paul, pause right there. So Jesus is talking to her about water, and then we see that he's definitely changing it up a little bit. We see that he moves past the well water right away. And we can't, we can't move past that. We need to understand what's going on. He, he communicates right off the get-go, like, listen, I have, I have this different water that you're not aware of. I have this water that, that is, is, will cause you to not be thirsty again. Like, I have this different water, and he moves even past, and he starts talking about thirst, never thirsting again, about uh, this, and she picks up on that. So we, we see right away in the text that Jesus can't be talking about physical water. He's not talking about the water that's coming out of this well. And her response is like, yeah, that sounds great. If I don't have to come here anymore, that'd be awesome. Give me some of that water. She's still hearing physical water, and Jesus is saying, I have something that will cause that deep thirst that's inside of you to go away. He's talking about something else. And so I just want to spend a little few moments talking about this. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about water, but he's talking about a deeper longing or thirst. I would say he's talking about worship in a lot of ways. He seems to be drawing a comparison between physical thirst and inner desire. This deep inner longing to feel valued maybe, or to feel worthy. It's deep awareness that I think many of us, if not all of us, have experienced that something is missing. That maybe I feel incomplete. We all want to feel complete. We all want to feel worth. We all want to feel that we have purpose. All of these things, I think, deep down we want that. But there's often this disconnect between what we want and how we actually experience life. And what's crazy is it's not something we talk about. And because of that, what ends up happening is we go through life and we look around and we see our neighbor, we see our friends, we see our family, and we're feeling that, but they seem like they're functioning great, and we start believing, like, man, it seems like everybody is getting it except me. They seem to help. They seem to help. They seem like they're doing good. Why, why do I feel this way when it seems like nobody else is? And then in recent years, we get on social platforms, social media, and we believe the lie that that's reality, and that seems that's a reality for them, but it's not the reality for me. And so what do we do? As human beings, what do we do? Well, we try to fill that thirst, that longing, with other things. There's many different, we could spend all day talking about these things. So for some, it's possessions. I just get more stuff. I get the house, I get the car, I get the clothes, I get the bank account. Then maybe I'll have meaning. Then maybe I'll arrive. Maybe then I'll have value. Maybe I'll be okay. 
others, maybe it's position. They could care less about this stuff, but if I'm seen in this position, if I, if I have the right calling, if I have the right position, if I have the right value, if I get the promotion, if I have the title, then I have worth, then I have value. That was big for me. There was a years back where I had, like, I wasn't okay unless I had a specific, like, if, unless I was recognized as a pastor. It was really gross. God showed it to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, I should not be in ministry now. I went and sold cars, which I'm still in the auto industry to this day, but I felt that unless I was a pastor and recognized as that, I had no value. Or I wasn't enough. Like, that's like the end, like, pastor is like, to this day, I still cringe when I'm called pastor because I'm so overly sensitive. It's weird, like, <laughs> a good buddy of mine. He always like, Pastor Cody in front of people. I'm like, oh, he's like, oh. And it's not because I don't recognize the title. It's just because it was so, so important to me that it was the ultimate. But maybe it's not position for you. Maybe it's power. Power, being prepared, having authority. You know, power is, comes from a fear of being, of people, especially people that have been taken advantage of and been hurt. I want to have power. I want to feel strong. I want to feel safe. I want to feel secure. Maybe it's a person. If I just find the right friends, the right spouse, the right person, like then I'll feel complete, then I'll feel valuable. Whatever it is, we believe that if those things will satisfy, complete us, that I won't thirst. And we spend our money and our time to achieve these things. We sacrifice much to pursue these ultimate things that we've based and trusted in our life. Many older civilizations did the exact same thing, but what they would do is they would take these longings, these desires, these things that we pursue, and they'd put them in a little statue. And they would worship these things, sacrifice them so that they would get the security, they would get the significance, that they would get the position, get the good crop, get the children, get the spouse, they were idols. We don't have statues on our mantles anymore, but there's still the same disconnect, longing, brokenness that we think we all, in one way or the other, experience. What's Jesus getting at here? This thirst this woman has. He's getting at worship. Now, worship is often, especially in Christian culture, been reduced to music. We just did worship, right? But worship is more than music. I would say that worship is the primary function of every human being. We always worship. We may, be, may not be worshiping God or a deity, but we worship. Because worship can be defined a bunch of different ways. I mean, I've processed through it. It's such kind of an ambiguous term because sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's not. It's, I would say worship at its barest form is a response is something we find beautiful, good, lovely. It's a response to something that we hope to achieve. It, it is us responding. I would say it's the gaze of our heart towards something we find lovely, beautiful, majestic, excellent, something that captivates our thoughts, something that we make ultimate. 
that we sacrifice for, a lot of times are good things that we turn into God things. And what's crazy is if any of us, if we're maybe connecting, we realize that they, these things don't satisfy. If they do, it's maybe momentarily. It's maybe for a, for a minute, a second. Maybe it's a month. But at the end of the day, I need more because I'm, the longing and the, and the disconnect and, and it all comes back, the thirst. We get thirsty again. These idols promise, but they never fulfill. What does all this have to do with our story? Well, we're going to see Jesus is getting to what this woman is longing for deeply, what she's worshiping. And for her, I would say, but if a, for her it would be a person if I only found the right man. So he says to her in verse 16, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that, that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. And what you have said is true. Watch this. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we are ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when He comes, He'll tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just as the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. There it is. But no one said, what, are you, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her jar of water and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So what do we learn about this woman right off the get-go? One, she was a woman with a past. Jesus says to her, <clears throat> go call your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, you've had five, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. What I find fascinating about Jesus is he knew all of this, and he was pursuing her. He, he was wanting to show himself gracious. Like, this woman, like, first off, like, in this culture, this woman would have been so despised, so, like, out of the community that I don't know the last time someone even spoke to this woman. There's a good chance that when she walked down the streets in her city, in her little village, people avoided her. When she walked down the sidewalk, people would walk on the other side. There was nobody talking to her. There was nobody, and if they did, it wasn't good. And she finds out immediately that this man knows her. What's the first question she asks him? Where do I worship? That was the deepest longing in her soul. 
where do I worship? I want to do it right. Is it this mountain? Is it the mountain in Jerusalem? She wanted to know God. When she realized Jesus is a prophet, maybe he has the answer. What's interesting is that like many in this culture, they believed often that, that the highest point is where you would go and worship. Because you want to get to close to God as possible, right? Like an elevation. If you look at all ancient civilizations, often almost all of their worship centers were always elevated. They were either like a pyramid or they were like a large, they were the high point. And so the Samaritans, when they came, when they came back and started re, kind of the Jews that were left and the people that came in, they kind of formed a pseudo-Jewish religion and they started substituting in aspects of, of worship into their own culture. And so they're like telling the same story as the Jews, but like, hey, this is the mountain we worship in. This is the true mountain. And they're using a lot of the same vocabulary. Which, and she's going, which mountain do I ascend to worship God? How do I get to God's presence? How do I reach God? And I think her questions are asked today as well. What must I do to reach God? What mountain must I climb? Where is the right place to worship? What's the right way to worship? Look how Jesus responds. He's like, neither. Your conclusion is actually flawed in that you must know God. It's about a who, not a where. What's crazy is she thought she knew God. She thought she knew the right God. And Jesus like says, listen, you don't know God. She had heard about him. Her religion even used the same vocabulary. But she didn't know the one true God. And Jesus says to her that you've got to worship in spirit and truth, right? It wasn't about a ceremony or performance or anything else. True worship was an inward response to what's true about God. And then he says to her, God is seeking worshipers. Which I think is so, so beautiful. And she still doesn't believe Jesus. She's like, listen, well, when the Messiah comes, I will ask him. He'll tell us what's up. And Jesus says, I am him. This is the first time Jesus explicitly revealed who he was. He had ambiguous talk with the disciples and like, they're like, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the Messiah. Like, it wasn't until later when he's like, who do people say I am? And he's like, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Like, they kind of had an idea was, but he was like straight up, I am the Messiah. He says it to some Samaritan woman that is an outcast from her culture. That is beautiful. That is so beautiful. What I think is so crazy is that this woman was so on the outs and yet Jesus found her. What's crazy is also is that as the disciples return, she bails, right? She just leaves all of her stuff and goes back to town. And I love this. She had no real idea. She knew he was the Messiah, but that was it. Like, she didn't know anything about Jesus. And she went and shared people with all that she knew. And come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Think about that. She met a new man and he knows everything about her and he didn't reject her. 
and he loved her. Could this be the Savior of the world? Like us, like this woman is like us, I think, in a lot of ways, at least at some different points in our life, is that we too, many of us, to some degree or the other, have a past. We have things that we are worshiping or have worshiped that we try to fulfill us. We've, many of us have been wounded deeply while others have wounded others. This woman had been tons of, of probably abuse has happened in this woman's life. She had been objectified and turned to nothing. And she just went, went from one man to another hoping that they would fulfill, that she would be loved, that she'd be cared for. She was deeply wounded. And we have here that God, in His goodness, pursues her as He pursues us. He had to pass through Samaria. He initiates a relationship with her. She didn't clean herself up. She wasn't dialed in. He came and He loves her. But also, like this woman, we all want to be known. Jesus said that she knows, needs to know God, but she didn't realize that God already knew her. He knew her story. He knew her and he wanted her. That's something that we always need to hear again. Is I think that the lie that so often we believe and we hear is that God doesn't want you. He, doesn't, he just puts up with you. He's angry at you. You disappoint him. You're gross. It's not true. He knows you better than you know yourself and he wants you and he loves you. And that changes things. As a church, we believe that the first step to growth is that what forms us the most is being loved by God. You can't hear that and not at least inside smile a little bit. It warms the heart. But not only that, we all want to be known, right? We all want to be known. We want to be known. We don't want to have to hide. Like, we all go about life sometimes pretending and, and just like everything is good, but we want to be known. And to be known and loved, I think, is the deepest desire for human beings. Because here's the reality, is there's this fear in the back of our minds that if I'm known, then I'll be rejected. If I'm truly known, then I will be rejected. And... But with God, what's beautiful is we are known fully and he has not rejected us. And what happens is because of that, we hide. If we're afraid to be rejected, we hide. And we go about life and we smile and we pretend everything is great and we go to the well at noon, hoping to avoid any real interaction. But God is seeking us and he's seeking you. She was seeking how to know and worship God and how to seek Him the right way. And I think many of us, it's the same thing, that she believed that she had to do it the right way and ascend and do it the right way for God to accept her and had to try hard enough, but she didn't realize that as she's trying to seek God, God was seeking her and God is seeking us. And we're free now as if, if we desire to worship God in spirit and in truth. We don't have to pretend with God. We don't have to go to the right mountain or follow some ritual. We don't have to do any of that stuff. All we need to do is respond to the goodness and glory of God 
inwardly because we are already fully known and fully loved. Despite all of the mess we've made with our life. We can worship in spirit and truth. Why? Because God has come. She wanted to go where God was, but she didn't realize that God came where she was at. That she wanted to get to his presence, but she didn't realize that God had come to her presence. Like, God has come through his Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world has come to earth to save us. Jesus has done everything necessary for us to have a relationship with the Father. The perfection, the perfectness, all of the stuff that is impossible for us to achieve, the law, obeying it all, Jesus has fulfilled it 100%. But all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the jackness that we've done, all the stuff we've made of our life that's in rebellion against God and is gross and dark and all the other stuff, Jesus died on the cross for that and paid for it so that we could be forgiven. This woman was accepted because Jesus knew he was going to die for all of the brokenness in her life. But all of the good that is necessary to be with God, Jesus has also accomplished that. And so as we respond, as we see the areas, that the disconnect, the things that we've been worshiping, and we realize what we can do is we can repent and go say, God, I want you. I'm sorry that I believe that would fulfill and that would fulfill. I want you. Forgive me. I trust you, and immediately what happens is we're forgiven of all of the stuff we've done and will do, but at the same time, Jesus transfers his righteous record to us, and so when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness, and we're fully loved, and we're fully accepted only because of Jesus. There's nothing we can do to add to it. We don't deserve it, but it's because he loves us only. He died for it all. All that we have to do is respond. That is the work. And like this woman, we can be also a people with good news. As you experience this, we can share with others, our neighbors that are in the same space going, listen, I don't know a lot. We don't have to be like studied to share what Jesus has done for us. I love what this woman did. All she did was come see a man who knows everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That can be, whatever your story is, you, that can be like, listen, I don't know a lot, but I know that Jesus has changed my life. I met Jesus, and this is what he's done, and it's, it's radical. He loves me, and I, I'm a mess. She didn't know much, but what she knew was that she was known, and she was loved, and that's what she shared. So as we kind of transition into music right now, I want you to meditate on a few of these things because I think that the deepest thing we need to be reminded of is that despite all this stuff, we're loved. So we'll spend last times two songs and, and just kind of gives us time just to reflect. But I want you to know this. God's heart is the same for you. He loves you. Everything in your life, everything that's gone on, He loves you. And although life might be hard and challenging and all this stuff... His love and his presence isn't absent from that. And he sees you. He sees you as he saw this woman. He knows you and he knows right where you're at. 
And this very moment, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, he's seeking you. He's seeking to be with you. He's seeking time with you. He's seeking a relationship with you. God wants you. And he's done everything necessary so that you can be with him. And all we do is respond every day. A response, yes, Lord, I want that. Let me pray. Father, thank you.